Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I go back to the ROI is great for these companies, but it's the return on fulfillment and what that can do for you just in any facet of your life. You know, you're, you're, you're putting your money into something that you're passionate about that's doing good in the world. You can't put a price on that type of peace of mind, Susan. Yeah, yeah no, it was, we consider that to be an important part of impact work. Um, so, so when I say that, I mean, making sure that the investments are actually felt by the end investor, right. so, so by that client. So they have to be, emo- we, we said investments have to have market rate financial return, have to be compelling from a risk right. adjustment return standpoint. Impact has to be measured and, and, and manageable, and you have to be able to be able to technically say that there's impact there. But one thing that a lot of impact investors miss because they get so caught up in measurement and, and, and UN metrics, yeah. it, it actually has to resonate with the person who's investing. Yeah, right? and they have to feel of that course. in order for them to want to continue to investing. And that's particularly true in our yeah. space where the investors aren't these big organizations with mandates, they're, they're people they're with people. values, they're families. Um, yeah. Welcome to AFO Wealth Management Forward, a podcast about finance, accounting, technology, and entrepreneurship. We apply our decades worth of experience and insight into what makes businesses work so we can help others grow both personally and professionally. In this ever-evolving marketplace, we help accounting firms and financial advisors grow their practice through the adoption of holistic wealth management services. Learn from industry leaders and subject matter experts to unlock the secrets of their success a podcast that shows people and companies the transformative power of technology so they don't fear it, but instead harness it. Don't fight the robots, team up with them. And here are your hosts, Rory Henry, Director of Business Development and CEO Rob Santos of Arrowroot Family Office. All right. Hello, everyone. Again, I'm joined by guest co-host Julie Johnson. Julie. Hi. Hi. How are you doing? Very well. Thank you. Awesome. Super excited to be here. I am, and I'm super excited to have our guest with us. He is uh, the CEO of Uplifting Capital, uh, which is a values-aligned firm that is investing in companies that create impact for our planet, uh, with our people, and in our economies. Uh, He's a trailblazer when it comes to uh, impact engagement. So we're here to talk really about impact investing, and I think in general how we can create greater fulfillment. So without further ado, let me introduce our guest, Dusant Bailey. Dusant, welcome to the show. Uh, pleasure to be here with you, Rory. Good to be with you, uh, Julie. Uh, ex- excited for the conversation. I- I've heard uh, many dynamic uh, people on this <laughs> podcast. So it- it's nice to be counted among them. <laughs> yes. Well, I've been hunting you down for a while, Toussaint, because I love your platform. I love what you're doing. Can you start out and give our audience a little bit of background about what led you to start Uplifting Capital and, and the work you do there? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, So my background for uh, several years prior to start up, starting Uplifting Capital was um, as leader of a, a registered investment advisor, an RIA firm um, uh, called Enzo Wealth Management, now now acquired by uh, Corio uh, Wealth Management, um, was uh, deeply fulfilling work, work I loved, um, uh, worked with some amazing partners there, and really got to do a lot around thinking uh, about the client experience at the mm-hmm. firm level, um, thinking about operations at the firm level and, th- and also thinking about the advisor experience. Um, and so I uh, did that for several years. We built um, that firm up from, you know, uh, just over a hundred million to a, a you know, couple billion before we exited under management and had all sorts of success. Uh, but 
um, along the way, uh, and really this is in 2020 when uh, a lot of us were sitting at home and, and introspective yeah. about a lot of things, uh, right? I, I had the opportunity to kind of take inventory of what I could do with, with the seat that I was in. Um, mm -hmm. And so that my impact journey uh, started not in impact investing, although we did some impact investing at Endo. Uh, my impact uh, journey really started with just trying to pull some lever that I knew I had available to me to, to affect an issue I cared about. What that started with was a series of conversations um, where we learned to talk and have better conversations across differences. And so I called it yeah. the Just Listen Project. And so mm -hmm. listening to a colleague who came from a different background about what their experience was, some of the challenges were, we had therapists um, and, and, and coaches <laughs> on each side of that conversation, right? Yeah. One for the speaker um, to kind of uh, feel comfortable speaking, one for the listener to learn how to listen with empathy and without kind of shame or empathy or, or sympathy. And so it was it was incredible. It was something that I felt um, obligated to do when I first started doing it in 2020, but the profound and, and kind of surprising effect of that was it really was uplifting and, and yeah. pun intended. Like it, it, it felt great. I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm doing this. And so I knew there was really no way I was gonna go back to not doing this. Um, and so at that point it became uh, uh, incumbent on me to figure out how I was gonna not throw away um, several years of, of wealth management experience and, and um, uh, relationship building in this space, uh, but also figure out a way to help people experience what I experienced. And so mm -hmm. not, not necessarily going out and being the bullhorn or the impactor, but really helping people uh, achieve that same level of purpose and alignment that I had through just starting to, to grapple with something that I cared about uh, in a way that felt uplifting to me. Love it. Love it. I think all three of us have had our own sort of journeys to get where we are today and so lucky and blessed to be able to be doing the work and having the passion of sharing the message and empowering other advisors, other financial professionals, and just people in general to find your voice, figure out what our clients want, what they need, and the best way to get them there. And a random uh, question. Are you an accountant looking to generate more revenue and secure your future success as automation and artificial intelligence revolutionize the accounting profession? If so, contact us at AFO Wealth Management Forward. We specialize in helping accountants and advisors just like you build a custom brand to pinpoint your optimal clientele, generate highly qualified leads through our data-driven digital marketing, and execute wealth management growth services to bring more value to your firm and your client's life. Our strategic approach to branding, marketing, and wealth management is carefully tailored to attract ideal clients, increase customer retention rates, and cultivate lasting relationships with clients across generations. Visit wealthmanagementforward.com to book your free consultation to find out how you can elevate your practice. Yeah, no, and Julie, what, what you're saying, I think we're finding data to support the fact that that is not only like this touchy feeling, like living with purpose and, and starting to align our work with some sort of higher purpose is not only touchy feeling, it is actually a, a factor in living a longer and healthier yeah. life. hundred percent. Some, some of what they're finding in these blue zones is, is about people doing more volunteering or more yes. higher purpose. And so yes. that is another piece of, of really what we set out to, to provide and share with advisors. Okay. To share with their clients like this is this is actually meaningful to outcomes oh yeah right? and and it's so spot on in line to with 
I do a lot of generational and gender research, right, in the financial industry, especially. But anyway, you know, with so many more women inheriting a lot of money and younger generations inheriting a lot of the money that's out there, the exactly what you are talking about and what we are all talking about is so what they are wanting. Yeah. And so it's not just it, it, like you said, it's not just touchy feely. It's it's um, a way that we must all start uh, evolving and bringing bringing these conversations into the conversations and discovery with clients and prospects, because if we don't, it's not going to resonate with them as much. And they'll go find a financial professional that does. They will talk it's about so it. Well, I, I was originally thinking of this as some sort of future thing, right? Like the, the wave yeah. is in the future and, you know, with, with more women and, and, and younger people inheriting money, uh, that's where they're going to start uh, demanding this alignment of their values and their investments. What we're finding is they're having those conversations with their parents who are the wealth wow. holders right now. Yeah. And, and so like there's, so there's not only this generational shift that happens when the money changes hands, but that chipping away it's ideas real yeah. time. Yes. Yeah. Bingo. hundred percent. Can you talk about the mechanics here? Cause I know we have the public markets, Tucson, there's ESG. Now you uh, are in the private markets and, and do alternatives. Can you kind of talk about for our audience, you know, what that values-based investing looks like uh, the difference between, you know, the public markets, that ESG world, and then the, the, the work you're doing at a post. Yeah. So, so we saw, we saw two trends or, or I saw two trends and in, in kind of setting out to do this. One was th this massive shift as uh, private markets are becoming more democratized, yeah. tools are being built to make them easier to access for wealth advisors uh, and their clients. Thank goodness. Thank, thank goodness, right? Yeah. There, there's been a shift, there's been an enlightening, and, and as education happens, um, there's been a movement from the traditional 60-40 portfolio. I mean, this has been uh, talked to death, right? Uh, a movement right. from that to something that incorporates alternatives, whether that's you know, 50, 40, 10, or, or 50, 30, 20, wh whatever the ratio that you end up with is. I think advisors are realizing there's some value to be added for a certain subset of clients by, by, by adding something illiquid or alternative into the portfolio. And so there's been uh, a proliferation of tools and solutions that have supported that movement. Um, I, and, and so that started at the institute, like alternative investing certainly started at the institutional level, foundations, endowments, family offices. What's happening now at that institutional level, like one step behind in that wave is mission aligned investing. So, so mm -hmm. single family offices, foundations, endowments, other forms of institutions, even, even some of your pensions are realizing that it's not concessionary to align some investments with the broader missions of the organizations, yeah. whether that's you know being more sustainable from a climate standpoint, whether that's creating uh, more diversity in how they manage their assets, like food, housing, like yeah. agriculture, housing, um, infrastructure, all of these things have forms of alpha and they're just really investment themes. Um, and and they, they are really capitalizing on huge demographic trends or mm -hmm. huge kind of world changing trends. And so there's been this understanding at that level that there's an opportunity to align mission with investment portfolio. I think there's been the desire at our wealth management level. I won't call it the retail level because we in our space, we use retail to mean something different than kind of high net worth and ultra high net worth clients. But we, I think the, the proxy for aligning investments and values in our space uh, up to this point has been public markets ESG. Yes. And, and, re and really ESG is a form of divestment, 
And so it's saying, I have these values and I care about these things. So screen out any <laughs> these stocks companies, right? or, or any companies that violate those values. In the private markets, the opportunities to actually proactively invest. Seek, yeah. Yeah, seek out and invest in, in the outcomes um, that, that you care about and that your clients are targeting. And so one, um, I, I say people's perception that kind of this values aligned investing is touchy feely and it's somewhat philanthropy related is my opportunity yeah. <laughs> because some of that alpha, a lot of that alpha is left out there. Uh, and so first of all, there's just a financial opportunity in capitalizing on some of these trends. But like to, to your point uh, earlier, Julia and yours, Rory, about this idea of aligning values with how we just show up in the world. If financial advisors have such an opportunity to offer that to huge. clients and investment, yeah. it's huge. huge. It's, it's huge. huge. And it's just the start of a conversation. And we've been talking about fulfillment more and more for a while. Mm -hmm. But what more uh, uh, kind of offering uh, uh, presents fulfillment than than these kind of world changing uh, opportunities. And so, and that's a start of a conversation. Clients have philanthropy, yeah. clients have volunteering places, but it's really um, an entree into a much larger and more meaningful conversation with clients. Um, and it, it's becoming an expectation. And what I, we're finding too, that that I'm seeing, and I'm, I'm sure we're all seeing family, you know, whether again, family foundations, family offices, what have you, they're putting it in their investment policy statements. Yes, they are. They're those adding are it. So those foundations are only required to, to give 5% right. of, of their corpus, right? 5% they, to, to grant they, to their missions. And so I think they're waking up to this fact that we have 95% of right. our assets that are either not activated toward our mission or may even be invested counter to our mission. And so financial advisors talk about money in motion all the time. Like some of our earliest clients were advisors with foundations that were looking up and even getting pressure from some of the foundation constituents yeah. to make the the vast majority of that portfolio align with what that what that small five percent was doing and so uh, that, like learning and, and pulling this conversation out of foundations pulling it out of families um is a huge opportunity for advisors yeah yes yeah i go back to the roi is great for these companies but it's the return on fulfillment and what that can do for you just in any facet of your life, you know, you're, you're, you're putting your money into something that you're passionate about that's doing good in the world. You can't put a price on that type of peace of mind, Susan. Yeah, no, so we consider that to be an important part of impact work. Um, so, so when I say that, I mean, making sure that the investments are actually felt by the end investor, right. so, so by that client. So they have to be, emo we, we said investments have to have market rate financial return, have to be compelling from a risk right. adjustment return standpoint. Impact has to be measured and, and, and manageable. And you have to be able to be able to technically say that there's impact there. But one thing that a lot of impact investors miss because they get so caught up in measurement and, and, and UNFP, yeah. it, it actually has to resonate with the person who's investing. Yeah, uh, right. and they have to feel of that course. in order for them to want to continue to investing. And that's particularly true in our yeah. space where the investors aren't these big organizations with mandates. They're, they're people they're with people. values. They're families. Um, yeah. One thing that we ran into a lot, obviously, in 2008, 2009, were liquidity factors. Mm. Can you um, talk to talk to us about that for you? Yeah. So I'll, I'll talk a little bit about uh, portfolio construction. And so I, I, I should say... We are uh, values aligned investing in the private markets, 
specifically for private wealth. And so we, we typically say multifamily offices, but that extends mm -hmm. to wealth management more broadly. Um, and, and, and so for us, the solution is designed around um, the private wealth firm and the private wealth client. And so what it means to me to be in this space and design something for wealth management firms is that, first of all, to get through investment teams, it has to be unquestionably institutional yeah. uh, to get through. What do you mean by that? Unquestionably institutional. Unquestionably institutional. So it has to be obvious that you, as an investment management firm, or an asset management firm, it has to be obvious to, to the person who's doing operational due diligence on us or investment due diligence on us that our compliance providers and firms and partners are of, of the, the sort of the, the first tier. Our cybersecurity is first tier. Our IT is first tier. Our investment process is first tier. Uh, and so, you know, the impact investing field generally is somewhat nascent. And so you have a lot of emerging managers, you have a lot of managers who haven't been in the space very often. And so building something that's institutional here and, and that you can show pretty quickly as institutional mm -hmm. is necessary to get for us to get through some of the firm gatekeepers. The due diligence. Else, but the one thing you can't do is lose money, right? You can't lose <laughs> clients money like and you can't lose clients. And so for us, the first piece of that is unquestionably institutional. The second piece of that is uncompromisingly scalable. And that really mm. goes to the advisor level. Um, mm. So for, for the financial advisors who are sitting in front of clients, we're talking all this personal uh, fulfillment and all these- oh, and those, yeah. <laughs> They can't have to do it for every client differently. Yeah. It, it may have yeah. to do differently for every client, but if they have to do rebuild something new or constitute a new portfolio for every client- It's um, not scalable. It's not, it's not scalable and it doesn't work. That said, you can't compromise investment quality and you can't compromise the kind of personal feel of it because in, uh, in the interest of scale. And so the last piece of it for us is it has to be profoundly personal at the client level. It still has to feel that. Mm -hmm. And so some of that is, is by the way we do reporting, kind of personalizing reporting. Some of that is mm. being able to configure a portfolio without having to start from scratch and build it up for the client. Um, but so, so that's how we think about those attributes. Uh, from a financial uh, firm standpoint. And then to your question about liquidity, uh, Julie, we do a, a few unique things. Uh, one is uh, managing cash within the solution. And so um, like part of liquidity is cash coming into a private fund, right? Capital calls and J curves and managing cash uh, uh, contributions. And so we do that. We have, uh, you know, short-term private credit, all for impact that we call cash into. Originally, we were going, we, we just need to beat our management fees. And so we're going to have some cash solutions mm -hmm. with what has happened to interest rates and what has happened to private credit. That's actually a workhorse in the portfolio, even before we get fully invested. So we call it all there, and then we invest it into its ultimate private equity destination. So that's cash management coming in. And then the way that we build our portfolio uh, from a from a diversification standpoint into the ultimate private equity destination, we have uh, like one portion of the portfolio that's real assets. So think affordable housing and infrastructure, things that are likely to generate cash a little bit more quickly, whether that's yield or whether that's just returning a little bit more quickly. Uh, one step in from that kind of in the middle portion of the portfolio, we have buyouts and, and more seasoned secondaries, all of this for impact. And so that's going to return uh, sort of a little bit later than the real assets and have a slightly different cash flow profile. Uh, but but it's different from what the third piece is, which is a kind of growth and venture capital. 
Mm -hmm. um, and so that's kind of longer hold and that cash shows up much later. We don't expect that to show up before seven, eight, nine, 10 years. And so what that ends up producing is this really even cash flow experience. It is, uh, and in, I know this term is also overused, but an endowment style private markets allocation that we think you can kind of pick up and put alongside um, any legacy 60-40 portfolio. And it kind of creates this experience that has cash coming in um, at, at a very manageable cadence and, and very kind of knowable process. And then also has cash coming out and returns coming out in this very predictable process. Um, and still you get kind of North American private equity returns as, mm. as sort of the, the, the overall return experience. And so we, we, we think about cash and, and distributions as much as we think about returns. Yep. Um, smart. Question. <laughs> <laughs> Very smart. Yeah. yeah. I, will, I, I wish I could take full credit for that. We, I, our, our CIO is second to, to none. Um, Linda Asante is her name. And she came out of um, a large multifamily office called Jasper Ridge Partners and led investment banking at JP Morgan and was an investment consultant. And so very, very, very impressive investor without partnering with someone like her and, the, and other members of our investment team. Um, I don't, th this thing doesn't happen. And so no. I, I wish I could take full credit. <laughs> You're good to be humble and and give credit where credit's due. Well, and, and it's good to hear that you you and your team are learning from past challenges, past concerns, past fears, right? We, because they were very real. We built backwards from pain. Well, I've, I've had those. Smart. I've, I have, yeah. those aren't conceptual pain points for no. me. No. <laughs> like, I've, I've been at the firm where, Every advisor has a different relationship with a different, you know, real, here's my real estate yeah, guy. Here's my, yeah. here's my private equity guy, all good investments, but all of those things come in and it ends up being chaos at the firm investment team level. I've dealt with capital calls. I've dealt with Jay. Uh, yeah. I've dealt with expecting, like having conversations with clients about why um, these returns look great on paper, but yeah. there's no access to these. And so I've just, th those, those pain points are not, uh, conceptual for me. They are all too, too real and too recent. Yeah. Yeah. Now, how are you identifying these companies or what's your measurement as far as saying that they're an impact type of company? What, you know, what, what goes into that process, Dusan? Yeah. So, so we worked with a, a, an incredible um, impact consultant called Tideline. And so they're, mm -hmm. they're the leading uh, private markets uh, impact consultant. And they even have this verification arm called Blue Mark. So we worked with them, starting with this framework of, um, you know, knowing the UN has identified these seven different sustainable development goals. Some of those goals are investable, some of those aren't. And so the first work that we did before even working with Tideline was going like, which of these are investable at market rates? Which of these are actually <clears throat> philanthropic? Which of these are really government policy uh, driven goals? And so we screened those out. We 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 bucketed those in like words that people can understand, uh, right? Not <laughs> talking about carbon footprints or this or right. that. Like, okay, more broadly, these things fit in people, planet, yeah. economy. So let's let's start there. Like, yeah. people are either trying to help. Those people, are three easy help. buckets. Three yes. easy buckets. I, I love I love threes. So in every bucket, we have three things. <laughs> so within that people bucket, right? We have things like uh, inclusion. So so diversity, equity, inclusion. Like that, that's one way you can uplift people, things like education, access to education, equitable, affordable education, and then health and wellness. That's like healthcare, yeah. that's general wellness that can include mental health. So within that people bucket, we have those. Within the planet bucket, we have climate change broadly. We have natural resource conservation and regeneration, and then sustainable food and agriculture culture systems. 
and then within economy, financial inclusion, affordable housing, and then mm. small business development. And so we know all of those are investable at market rate. Um, we know there are private market opportunities available where you can invest all of those. And so we started thinking about, first of all, what are the measurement and management uh, tools available for each of those? But our primary form of investment is through investment managers. And so, so we have our own um, we go KPIs. So, so just like in businesses and impact, you have key performance indicators that let you know, you know, this company or this fund has this impact objective, and it's either making headway or it's not based on these KPIs. But for us, we are KPI takers, not KPI imposers. So every company um, and every manager knows its business and its fund much better than we do. Everyone that we interact with. And so they usually come to us with a set of performance indicators that they think drive impact in their business. Um, we will suggest, we will coach, um, but we're KPI takers. We, we, because we're so diversified, we don't try to aggregate all those and say like, oh, here's our impact score. Here's the, yeah. you know, here's the one impact right. number. It doesn't make sense. It's different for everyone. Um, and so, so we, we, we're KPI takers. We have a very kind of sophisticated rubric on how we measure impact across any different uh, KPIs. It has, you know, the, we, everyone ends up with an impact score, but it's kind of based on their own thing and their own area. Um, and then another important form of uh, analysis that we do um, in impact is financial return analysis. So for us, yeah. um, impact and financial return are integrated. It's not like we have financial performance over here and then impact over here for us whatever creates the impact has to actually also be the driver of the financial performance. Because mm -hmm. uh, if those two things are at odds, you could have a firm that's kind of impact by happenstance, yeah. but it, it, it's financial return is going to start to erode that impact or there's some secondary effects that, that ne don't necessarily support impact. And so it's- Well, and that's when you get into those, you know, when it's family offices and whatnot, when you get into the sort of generational- challenges right when the though and this is statistically speaking everyone's different their own individual but statistically speaking the older generations look more purely for performance younger generations are more the the impact yes important um, performance matters but impact is more more important in some cases so the fact that you equate for lack of a better word at least the importance of both is a win-win for all generations, right? Yeah, that's it, it, absolutely. And it's the only way it works. It's been, it's yes. been our thinking has evolved because we yep. started out in this defensive posture, um, like impact investing is not concessionary. Investing for impact <laughs> is not concessionary. That, yes. it, it's absolutely true. That was our conversation everywhere we yeah. could go. Uh, but when we started to look at it and we really started to look at what the companies in our portfolio look like and what the funds in our portfolio look like, it was really about impact being a source of alpha. Um, and, and really telling that story on our front foot rather than kind of on yes. our heels. Going proactive forward. versus reactive. Pro proactive. Where we find our impact is where we find our alpha. Nice. Yeah. Do you have That's data not... that you can point to saying, hey, you know, this is what we've seen. Uh, I have data. I have more sense. Yeah, I was like, Rory, they better have data. <laughs> yeah, more white papers than you know what to do with. Uh, so, so both across kind of thing those those planet related themes and then also across those people related themes like yeah. so so performance of investing in you know overlooked communities overlooked founders overlooked funders and, and and also like the ability so our primary investments are into funds so we're looking at funds we're investing in funds and then we'll do some co-investment alongside of our fund managers 
when we get excited. The, the ability of overlooked fund managers um, and, and, and non-traditional fund managers, women, fund managers mm -hmm. of color, fund managers, you know, they may be from disabled backgrounds, to identify opportunities within their sphere is, is second to none. And also to evaluate those opportunities. So I just... So I have my own podcast, I'm uplifting <laughs> conversations here. I had a conversation this morning with uh, one of our portfolio uh, in, uh, fund managers and one of their portfolio entrepreneurs. Uh, they're in the sustainable food space. And uh, this one was talking about, they invested in this Agua Fresca company. Um, the, the, the investment manager, Latinx, a woman like MIT, master's in engineering, master's in business, insanely impressive person. But but her she's from Latin America and, and, and that's her background. She's like, I grew up drinking agua fresca and yeah. it's in every restaurant. I knew what those demographics were. And I knew this company that was going to get that in Whole Foods was going to be wildly successful. Like there was no question in my yeah. mind I know what the demographics are. She was like, that's from my lived experience. Others didn't see that opportunity the same way and couldn't see that opportunity the same way. And so us investing in her as this uh, non-traditional uh, investment manager in the investment space and her being able to identify this opportunity is absolutely a source of alpha. We see that show up in climate. We see that show up in, in affordable housing. Like, so affordable housing is another example. Like the, the vacancy rates in affordable housing are, are so insanely low. And so the yield is so stable that as an investment from, from a risk management standpoint, like everybody should be looking at this for their portfolio if they're investing in real estate. And like it, it's market rate stuff, it, it's absolutely, it's it recession proof. Um, yeah. so, so for us, we're like, if we want stable yields and we want stable income, give people something that costs less than it should cost <laughs> yeah. and, and see what happens. So the wait lists, not vacancies, right? Well, uh, yeah. and the irony is you'd think that that would be, you know, excuse my whatever, but duh, right? But it's not. It, it's too good to be true. It's, for a, it's a conversation and education that thank goodness you're having with people. Yeah, it, and there's stigmas, right? So so yeah. you, it's affordable it must, and, it, and it costs less, it must return less. less. Yep. But, there, yep. but there's all sorts of innovative financial uh, uh, solutions sure. that create that affordability. So one, yeah. one firm, um, uh, Catalyst Housing Group here in the, in the Bay Area has created these joint partnerships with the government where they get uh, government financing. So, so mm -hmm. they create these joint powers authorities, they get government financing, drops the, the financing rates uh, of this affordable project. So they can mm -hmm. use that to, to create more affordable housing. It's workforce housing. So teachers, firefighters, not necessarily the bottom of the pyramid, but then the margin between what they save from that tax-free financing and, and doing tax-free bonds versus what they can charge uh, creates a huge amount of opportunity margin. and then the housing goes to the government. It's all this uh, nice. like, kind of virtuous cycle, um, yeah. but it's very profitable. But people, it requires a lot of education to, to get people to know what that financial opportunity is. Mm. Yeah, Love it. And I mean, how are you finding that education? Because when you talk to Sant and the work I see you do, I, I obviously follow you online. You know, it's so powerful talking about impact investing. Is this just something that needs to get out more to the public and and have people talk about so more people can can start investing like this? It is, and I have to. So I, I've been. Um, I, I mentioned Linda earlier. I've been elbowing, nudging her to get out a little bit more. Like I, yeah. I, like, I don't want to be the, I don't want to be the face. Like we have an incredible team. I want us all to be out there. I think it's getting her 
as a really, really seasoned technical investor who loves talking about portfolio construction and risk adjusted return out there talking about impact from that standpoint, just mm -hmm. the pure financial opportunity of impact. I think folks getting educated about that. And I will talk about the client engagement opportunity all day long because I think yeah. it's important. I think it's compelling. It works for the advisor. But the investment teams um, um, and getting them educated about what the financial opportunity is, is one piece of that. And for, for us, it's building the scalable solution. Uh, yeah. I think the perception is also like if I have a conversation with every client about what they care about, I'm going to have a different portfolio <laughs> for every client. I'm going to have this client chasing green chemistry and I'm going to have this client chasing social <laughs> entrepreneurship and like, ah, right. <laughs> and so, so uh, scalable solutions are also important. Yeah. That, that's, a, that's a plug for us. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about that engagement, that client engagement that wealth managers should be having. You know, can you talk about that coaching you provide to tell wealth managers, like, this is how you should be positioning? Uh, yeah, so, and, and there's firms, there's other firms that, ha that have started at this and, and done it well, but part of that is values discovery. Um, and so we have our own uh, kind of values discovery tool where you'd walk through a client, a conversation with a client and literally start with, um, for, for me, I, I built backwards from what my experience was and really kind of reverse engineering, going from this place where I was depressed about what I saw in the world. And I think yeah. like many of us <laughs> can look out and, and find reasons to, to right kind now, of grit yeah. our teeth right now. Yeah. So I, I looked out and it was it, I, there was this general sense of malaise. I mm -hmm. went from there to really feeling good about what I was doing and empowered. So what was that process? One, it was taking inventory of like what not only what gets me excited and what gets me out of bed, but what was I like breathing, background, like what was weighing on me um, and getting really specific and having that conversation and having the courage to have those conversations. Like people feel like in great debt to, to, to people who give them the opportunity to unburden, right? And so if an advisor becomes, you don't have to become someone's therapist, but just what do you care about? in the world today and i'm not going to prescribe some political theory to you i'm not going to tell you what to do with that but i just i, I want to know as your advisor and friend and then from there you might offer a menu of things where where they can actually start to engage with that and so we're thoughtful about not going um you know there's all these issues and you care about this issue here's an investment solution for that issue. <laughs> right, right. So right. We, we educate about philanthropy we educate about opportunities to engage uh with the, with these things in a broader conversation and so uh, we we empower advisors with those tools like here's some of the levers you can pull uh, we, we do we call them impact dinners so we yeah. did a dinner where we, we brought together advisors and their clients and and policy leaders and other folks around affordable housing. We did nice. one around um, improving probation. And so so just bringing people in and giving them this opportunity to talk about and engage with other people who are actually making positive progress and doing something about what they care about <laughs> is a second. It's, it's almost like solution-focused therapy like in this, hectic, <laughs> in this hectic world, right, that, yeah. we're, that we're living in and people are bombarded with all this really extremely depressing news yeah. to be able to have a conversation about how we can help the world, right? And they're shamed and about, they're, they're also shamed when they do start to do something, they're shamed about either doing it wrong or not doing enough. Right, so they're fearful. Like, we, talk about, we talk about micro acts of courage. Yeah. Like there's zero shame in like, what is the smallest Small possible step? Yeah. What is the smallest possible start at this, at engaging with this issue look like? Yeah. And let the momentum of that take you somewhere. Don't try to make big sweeping. Like don't don't if you're not change the world. Like protester, <laughs> don't go out and stand on the front lines of some <laughs> protest and carry a picket sign. Like yeah. make a 
donate twenty dollars. I don't yeah, care what right, it is, but like right. whatever is within your comfort zone, extend that by one percent. Go one percent outside of your comfort zone and continue to expand that. And, and and there's all sorts of research about kind of habit building and stuff. So just create yeah, yeah. A, an impact habit. Don't don't try to like do it all at once. Well, it's it's the paradigm shift, right? So it's just changing. Like you said, it's it's small habits, changing the conversation, implementing new discovery questions, implementing, you know, just dip, different ways of being curious and then placing that curiosity into the minds of prospects, clients, advisors, everybody else. It's like, hey, let's talk about this. That's ex- that, that's it. And, and it's a, not a conversation that's completely foreign to advisors anymore. No, started it, well, it sure as heck shouldn't be, right? No, no, we, we've talked to fulfillment is now becoming yes. a much more comfortable conversation and yes. this idea of giving permission particularly with clients of some means we, yes. like a lot of the job for advisors has gone from protecting wealth to yeah. oh, you're okay it's it's, yeah. it's safe yeah. to, to spend that please take a vacation please take a vacation yeah. so it's this permission giving and so removing shame is something that like and alleviating anxiety alleviating right? anxiety we, we yeah. we've got we've become accustomed to that and so now, like removing this shame around how to engage with something you care about, I think is just kind of the, a next piece in that evolution. I mean, I, totally I trademarked agree. Advise Roar with a return on relationship. <laughs> I think about, uh, trademarking return on fulfillment, because that's what you're talking about, yeah. Tucson, is having people live a more fulfilling life through uh, investing. Absolutely. And so I, I, we, me and Julie and I talk about human first financial guidance all the time. All and the we time. lead, you know, I... You and I talk about Dennis Mosley Williams and staging those experiences and guiding transformations. And we do value-based planning and whole life planning. So it's really taking that person away from me, the metrics of investing mm-hmm. to really finding out what matters most to them in all aspects of their life mm-hmm. and then finding out what their values are. And then from there, we can then identify companies that we can truly believe in and, and invest in. And that'll take away from a lot of the noise <laughs> that we're being bombarded with uh, in the news and the media, yeah. help people live a more passionate and purposeful life. That's incredible. Yeah, because people are coming, like, that's so insightful. And I love that that you built it that way with intention. People aren't coming into your office to have their right. money managed. Like, yeah, they're right. coming into your office to have their lives better. than they may think that not having their money adequately handled is, is, is the thing that's in the way, but they're coming for a better life. And so going mm-hmm. at it directly makes a lot of sense. Well, and so often the people that we work with, they don't they don't know what they don't know, right? And so it's our job to figure out what exactly what you just said, what does matter to them, right? And that takes a foundation of trust, which takes some time to build. Um, it takes, you know, experience and coaching and training that you provide, I provide, Rory provides in how to be safe, to be vulnerable with your clients, be feel safe to provide them with a safe space to share what's going on for them, what they're afraid of, what they want to accomplish, and then providing them with the tools and options and choices, such as your, your fabulous work, to be able to feel better about what they're doing and, and, this and is a being fulfilled. Right, and, yes. and it's a lot, many people, they, they probably don't get this conversation anywhere else. And that's why so I say true. advisors have such an opportunity to be agents for change and, and yeah. better their clients. Like they, they where else do they sit down and, and someone asks them, oh, how, 
How can Absolutely. we make your life better? Like, like let's imagine the best possible life for you. And let's start working on that. Yes. And so like, that would be a squandered opportunity if we, we talked about, you know, let's, you know, your, your Mark Con your, your, your Monte Carlo simulators. And, I know, you know optimizers. And well, like you say too, it for better or worse, and a lot of the work that, again, we all do is helping advisors realize that this is such an amazing opportunity. And I know you've got a statistics brain i've got you know we all have statistics brains there are so many statistics that show that a lot of advisors are missing out on having these conversations either because maybe you know people that they've trained under have never empowered them to do so number one number two maybe they've tried to go there with clients and they fumbled and so they're like oh crap i'm not going to go there again so we're there to help them go there again right and and yeah. be successful in those conversations and feel more confident at the end of the day it's not a product sell no i, I, I found they need they, they need the why and they need the how yes, I mean, so I'll, I'll, I have, my, my, my i have a, a good buddy who uh, i will suggest would probably be a great guest but sam yushio um is a good friend he talks about ikigai um, and purpose and meaning, but he does that a lot from a money back. He has an asset management background. Um, and, and one of the things he's done a lot of research on is just how much uh, purpose and meaning improve life outcomes, mm -hmm. improve company outcomes, improve the quality. Family relationships. Ab absolutely. So there's real bottom line uh, consequences to applying a greater sense of purpose and connecting with values and all of those things. And so like helping advisors understand that this is not just something soft and squishy and a gimmick, yep. but there is there is a why that improves your client's lives behind this is one piece. And then showing them how, like, I think yeah. you, have, you have to walk through. Yeah. And, and on an ongoing basis, right? Be available. So, hey, you know, Julie, hey, Toussaint, hey, Rory, I'm trying to have these conversations with this particular client. Here's what I ran into. Help me, you know, how could I have handled this better, right? And helping them grow in those conversations. Absolutely. Which is fabulous. Yes. Awesome. Well, this has been great. Toussaint, is there anything that we haven't talked about that you want to touch on for our audience here? I I, I don't <laughs> think so. I mean, we, we are... Um, uh, Fortunately, just closed our first uh, vehicle uh, last month. Congratulations. Uh, the proof of concept vehicle we're building in partnership with multifamily offices. Um, and so our, our first kind of tip of the spear of that was Corient. We're working with another firm called Reenvision Wealth. And we have some others who will kind of open up partnerships to next year. Currently uh, not available, but if folks want to look at uh, one of those strategic partnerships that we have with the RIA community, um, firms of all sizes, um, please reach out. Uh, LinkedIn is where I hang out most, uh, but, but you, you can you can find me uh, there. You can shoot me an email. I can make that available. Um, uh, happy to to kind of start that process with yeah. an eye toward uh, next year. Um, I think we have a lot of value to add to a lot of folks in the space. I love it. And, and I want you to touch on, because I saw this in one of your other podcasts or talk you were doing uh, about a micro ask and a micro give. Can you talk to our audience mm. about that? Because I think it's a powerful way um, you know, to work with people. Yeah, no, so absolutely. So I, I talked a little bit earlier about these impact uh, dinners that we do. And so they're, they're gatherings of people who happen to care about an issue on all, all sides and all different forms of stakeholders. It could just be, you know, an, an investor uh, with, with some 
you know, some, some means who, who has given and donated or invested in an issue. It could be their advisor, it could be, you know, a policymaker, foundation folks. So we, we, we bring them all together and we, we have these rich conversations. But for me, I hate getting in a room and talking something to death and then going yeah. away and like, oh yeah, that felt really great to have that conversation. <laughs> yeah. That. yeah. What's so the follow up there? <laughs> yeah, no, right. Like it's, it's, you, you feel great. And then you realize I didn't accomplish anything. anything. So <laughs> for, for us, um, one of the ways that we've ended those uh, dinners uh, is to have everyone in the room give one micro ask. So, it, and we define micro ask as one thing that you feel would be light lift for someone else or everyone else in the room um, that would be really impactful to you and particularly the work you're doing on this mm -hmm. issue. And then a micro give, something that uh, is defined as light lift for you, be very easy from your standpoint. Um, but would be potentially impactful um, to the work that someone else in the room is doing or everyone else in, in the room is doing. Um, and so that's an exchange that we do. And, and we've had some incredible partnerships come out of that. We've had kind of yeah. full-blown uh, business relationships grow out of that. And it's just, I, I, I'm a big fan of of starting small and getting yeah. a little bit outside of your comfort zone. I just- I love that. I love that. That's fantastic. Awesome. I like it. I like it. All right. Thank you so much for joining me, Julie, again. I appreciate you sharing <laughs> your wisdom with our audience. If people want to reach out and learn more, what's uh, the best way for them to do so? Yeah. So I don't, I don't know what my LinkedIn handle is. <laughs> search my, my name, Tucson Bailey on, uh, uh, on LinkedIn. That's probably the best way. And you can get me and I'll, I'm pretty responsive there. You can get Pretty responsive. Yeah. <laughs> you can, uh, well, that's where we connected. And yeah. we are both from born in the city of Orange at St. Joseph's Hospital. That's right. <laughs> and I went to UCLA undergrad. You went to UCLA Law School. And you went to this law school with one of my best friends, Stefan Perovich. So that's just small world. world. Both of my parents are Bruins undergrad. I love it. Go Bruins. <laughs> that's right. All righty. Thanks, Toussaint. Thanks, Julie. Thank you so much. Great to meet you, Toussaint. Likewise. All opinions expressed by Rob Santos and Rory Henry on this website podcast interview are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Arrowroot Family Office LLC or their parent company or affiliates and may have been previously disseminated on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed by anyone as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of their opinions. Past performance is not indicative of future results.